Welcome to the Lemon Spark Podcast, where we share stories about lemons that spark a new direction in life. I'm your host, Barbara Zabala. Welcome, Isabel Wettergren. Thank you so much for joining me on the Lemon Spark Podcast. I'm so excited you're here today. Everyone, let me introduce Isabel. She is a workplace wellness professional, speaker, addiction awareness specialist, and a proud mother of two emerging adults. She resides in Northern California and holds a bachelor's degree in kinesiology and master's in health and wellness psychology. She's a board certified well, health and wellness coach and has over 20 years of experience teaching and leading wellness initiatives in public schools. She is a very highly skilled speaker and educator, and she contributes to the International Recovery Coach Association's mission to break the stigma about addiction in the workplace, which is so important. And that's where we're going to be talking about today. So thank you so much, Isabel, for joining us. And let's start with your lemon. What was it? <laughs> well, thank you, Barbara, for, for having me. I think that uh, talking about uh, talking openly about addiction is what really helps break the stigma. And that's that's my lemon. It's an old lemon, but it's a nonetheless, it's a, a lemon that really took me to dark places. It's pretty uh, pervasive in our society yet, too. Very much so, especially nowadays with COVID-19, you know, a lot of people are looking for ways to not feel and are turning to not only alcohol and drugs, but uh, we call them beats, uh, which are behavior, events, experiences, people and substances. Uh, so substances is only one of the thing we, we know that in terms of behavior, also social media, being on their phones, uh, gaming is also part of addiction. My lemon is addiction to alcohol and marijuana. And I just recently, I have 12 years, over 12 years of sobriety. And I just recently started talking about it because celebrities do talk about it, but they're not necessarily available to take your call or to give you advice or <laughs> to connect with. So, and I think that maybe towards the end of my, uh, my addiction, maybe if I had someone like me, a mother of two young kids, a teacher, someone to talk to, someone that would understand what I'm going through or even hearing their story first, you know, I, I could have connected with them <laughs> in some ways. Well, you had said that one of the things you felt, especially towards the very end of your addiction was alone. You felt lo an extreme amount of loneliness. Do you want to talk about how were you feeling lonely? I felt lonely. I felt guilty. I felt shame. Those are all the emotions that I was feeling towards the end of my addiction. And really my bottom was a, a rather long bottom, but not as deep as deep a bottom as uh, some people experience. So I'm grateful for that. I'd never lost a job. Uh, I was never late for work. I never got caught in a DUI or, you know, my so there's a like a stereotypical image of what an alcoholic might be. Someone suffering from um, alcohol disorder might be like, and I did not fit the stereotype that I had in mind. So that's how I felt lonely. I just didn't feel like other people felt the same way that I did. 
Mm-hmm. Did you even view yourself as an addict because you didn't fit the stereotypical profile of whatever it is you had in your mind of what an addict looked like? Someone who, who lost their job or got arrested for a DUI or some of those things that never happened to you. Yeah. Did you feel so like you were an addict? Well, one of the tricky thing about addiction is that we're not functioning on uh, fully operational brains. So that's something that is important for your listeners to understand is that addiction is a disease, much like diabetes is a disease. Mm -hmm. And it's a disease that centers in the brain and it changes the the molecular at the molecular cellular level. And it, it prevents us from making rational decisions. It impairs our ability to regulate emotion efficiently. So did I feel like I was an addict? I kind of knew that my drinking and my using was out of hand. However, my disease brain, which is the nature of addiction, was just telling me otherwise. What do you think it was telling you? That everything was okay? As long as you still had a job, as long as you weren't getting arrested and nobody was talking to you about it, you know, nobody knew Exactly, exactly. I was able to rationalize pretty much everything. <laughs> uh, so it, it was it was a struggle. Towards the end, it was a really, really struggle because I knew that it wasn't getting any better. And I, you know, I would make promises to myself, okay, tomorrow, I'm going to start from scratch. I'm not doing this, and that, you know, and understanding also that addiction is a progressive disease. It mm-hmm. never gets better on its own. It never, ever gets better on its own. It's potentially deadly and it devastates like families and workplaces and communities. So I think it's important that we understand that it's not only uh, the people who live in homeless shelters or the people that end up in jails and institution. It's more prevalent than we think. You had mentioned that your husband didn't say anything to you about your addiction, that he knew about it, but didn't say anything to you? Well, I was very secretive. (laughs) So he didn't really know just how much I used and how much I needed to use. But whenever he would make a comment, I would uh, really become extremely protective and become really angry at him. So he learned to leave me alone a little bit. And that's a different, you know, it's like the codependency. I'm not saying that he's, that we're codependent, but it's not uncommon in relationships that if one person is addicted, that the other person in the couple kind of turns a blind eye, much like in the workplace, you know, does take a lot of courage. And it it does require some level of training for people in HR and for managers to address addiction in the workplace. So what prompted you to seek help? You said you would talk yourself into, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do something different. You know, I'm going to be different. And, but then I assume you would fail and not be different, but at some point, you must have done something different. What was it that prompted you to do that? Well, I failed over and over and over and over at the promises that I set myself. I could not stay stopped. I could stop. No problem. I'll stop. But I could not stay stopped. And towards the end of my addiction, I I was having a hard time uh, at the computer, the keyboarding. So those micro, uh, not micro, but working at the- Fine motor movements. Thank you. Fine motor movement, (laughs) coordination, that sort of thing that- 
that was one of the way that I knew that something was wrong. But the insomnia, the insomnia, not being able to sleep, I would pass out. I would not sleep. It was not restful sleep. It was my brain pretty much shutting down and, and passing out. And in the middle of the night, one night, I, I, I went to the TV room and I was flipping channels and I saw this. It was celebrity rehab, <laughs> celebrity rehab. And I just started bawling and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, they play it in the middle of the night. And that kind of I, I heard someone tell my story of like not being able to stay stop and just this feeling of uh, not, you know, not wanting to go on with mm-hmm. life, but mm-hmm. yet not knowing how to go on without Sub- the, the substances. Yes. Yeah. So that prompted me to, to call, to call for help. And who did you call? Well, first I did what I called my health insurance, which was my brain was not operational. And they really throw me for a loop because they were asking me questions that I just didn't know the answer for. And it just triggered my anxiety even more. And it just threw me right back where I was. I ended up making an appointment with Ted Obard, and he was a really gentle therapist. And he listened to me for an hour, like 50, our session was an hour. He listened to me for 55 minutes and then, <laughs> uh, suggested that I I'd go check out a program of recovery. And I did. And when, when I celebrated my five year uh, of recovery, Dr. Ted Albert came and, you know, kind of celebrated with me. So that was really uh, awesome. And now I'm 12 years sober. So I'm definitely going to be sharing this podcast because (laughs) he really helped me out and put me on the path of recovery. And for that, I will forever be grateful. Let me celebrate with you for being 12 years (laughs) sober. That's really awesome news. And Now to the question of this podcast, what was the spark that came from this, this lemon that you dealt with this addiction? Addiction nearly took my life. I mean, it it really did. And I felt like something needed to be done. Something needs to be done to break the stigma around it. I will never know if I would have seeked out for help sooner if I had known that people like me existed, if I had known that you know, people hang out, well, not with COVID-19, but people hang out at coffee shops and people have different ways to find pleasure. And in the workplace also, of course, when someone develops an addiction, it, it really impacts the relational, like the, the relationships with others. And I was constantly in conflict. And when I entered a, a program of recovery, I, I was able to heal those relationships and be better at my job. And I, I just noticed that a lot of people appear, and I'm not saying that everybody has a uh, addiction problem, but there's definitely a need for organizational structure around wellness, specifically for mental health in the workplace. So yeah, not to say that everybody in the workplace has addiction, but you know, I I think it's important that we create an environment where like a workplace environment where we can talk more openly about some, some obstacles and some challenges that people are going through. So breaking the stigma around addiction and mental health is really important in the workplace. And, you know, the, the stars aligned. I met Dr. Jean LeCour at the National Wellness Institute. And at that point, she was, she was uh, 
doing a, a pilot for their addiction awareness facilitator training. And I participated in that. And then later she asked me to revise it. And it's just the stars align. Like my, my spark, I think, uh, is that once the addiction has been removed, the active addiction has been removed. It just created this place where I'm more open to possibilities and I just see a need and I just feel like, um, like I have a voice, I have my experience, I have the passion and that's, that's what I do. And now I no longer have the shame and the guilt because I feel like those experiences is what makes me today just the perfect person to bring in the workplace and yeah. talk about it. Right. Well, and I think you had mentioned that once you were in recovery, you started talking about your addiction experience and found that other people were responding to your story and coming out and telling you about their experiences, sharing with you, you made them feel comfortable and that that created a, a, a light bulb went off to you. I'm kind of reiterating what you had said to me earlier and there was a need for more discussion, more open discussion about addiction and hearing stories like yours. Do you want to, is, yes. is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I really believe that vulnerability is essential to recovery. Like you need to be able to say, hey, hello, I need some help, right? When you, the first time you're asking for help, it's like, oh my gosh. And then you get in a habit of asking for help and to provide help for others. And then it just starts a circle, like a, a circle of recovery with the people. So I don't always call the people and tell them my, my problems. Sometimes I call them to listen to their problems so that I can help them illuminate their path. And I don't provide the solution for them. I just let them, I create this safe space where it's okay for you to share your story and share your feelings around specific issues. You know, we want to listen to the problem, but really what we want to do is to focus on the solution. And I think that's what the essence of your podcast is, is out of, you know, my, my darkest days, the days where I felt like I just want to get in my car and, you know, drive 80 miles an hour. And just what would it feel like to, to just end it right there on that, cement wall. I don't go there anymore. <laughs> but those are the dark thoughts. Today, I can talk about that knowing that there's someone that is going through the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And I want people to know that it gets better. It gets better. Granted that you enter a program of recovery, you ask for help. Asking for help is the, the most difficult thing at first, but it opens up so many possibilities. Oh, <laughs> having the courage to ask for help. Definitely. It takes so much courage. Yeah. But that opens the doors as you're saying. And it sounds like that once you discovered that the power behind sharing your story and how it could change lives, that you're now on a path to do that, do just that, particularly focusing in on the workplace and addiction in the workplace and now offer as part of your services, speaking opportunities and, and training and education in, in the workplace and corporate settings to help manage and cure addiction in the workplace. So how can people, if they're interested in maybe having you 
come on board and deliver your services to their workplace or they want to reach out because maybe they read, you know, they understand your story and maybe want to learn more about you. How can they read? How can they find you? Yeah. I just want to go back is that, you know, we don't ma- necessarily manage and cure addiction. I, I just want to go oh. back to <laughs> Yes. That's my naive inability. It's, to it's totally that. okay. Cause I, you know, <laughs> if I had a cure for addiction, man, I mean, <laughs> I would just love it. But you know, if, if you are interested in, talking about it because it's it's a very sensitive topic and people are not necessarily equipped to talk about it with their employees and maybe they feel intimidated and maybe they are struggling with their own addiction or you know we just don't know where people are so it's like bringing in someone that has the knowledge you know and and the skills and and the passion that's what i do that's what i do 70 percent of illicit users currently hold a full-time and a part-time and or a part-time job. So that's a huge number. Yes, it is. Huge number. So, so just keeping that in mind. So, and, and then in the workplace, why would you bring me in? Because your productivity, your morale, think about lawsuits that can happen. Think about just workplaces that uh, are more impacted, like the construction fields, especially construction, sales. There are some industries that have higher rates. So why, why bring me so that they know they know they have heard that there is a different way of living and in the end the employer will get uh, the return on investment because they will have created a uh, psychologically safe environment where people know that they can access resources on their own or having some conversation to your question, yeah. if, if that floats your boat, if you're ready to break the stigma and if you're ready to have me come and, and speak or provide professional development, I do both. Uh, you know, you can reach me at uh, my phone number is 510-205-8790. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drive me a, a, a little message uh, with your invitation. And I also have an email address, isabelwellness at gmail.com. So it's Isabel, I-S-A-B-E-L-L-E, isabelwellness at gmail.com. And it would be like a pleasure because for managers and employers who, who do take, who, who have the courage to bring uh, awareness, addiction awareness in the workplace, you know, you can potentially save lives, you know, not only your business and your, your return on investment and your productivity, but you can save someone's life. Well, thank you, Isabel, for sharing your story and for having the courage to do what you do. And I'm so glad that you're the spark that came from your lemon has led you here. Well, thank you, Barbara. It's, uh, you know, it's always a pleasure listening to your podcast. And now I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm on Barbara's podcast. <laughs> so it's it's just wonderful. Thank you for, for connecting with me and for offering me this platform to, to share about addiction in the workplace. Thank you. You are welcome. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Lemon Spark Podcast. If you have a Lemon Spark story to share or know someone who does, please message us on Facebook and be sure to like our page. And remember, it's not the lemon that defines you, it's the spark.